0: Church. How are we doing, 1008? We good? We good? I'm excited you're here. Thank you so much for being here. My name is Randy. I'm the pastor here at Revolution Church. I want to kind of give you a a setup as we move into this discussion of don't put Jesus first this year. I want to tell you a little bit about last year and kind of what God had been doing in my wife and I's heart. Um, God had had basically, we were in Ohio, right outside the Cincinnati area, and we lived there. We were we were on staff at a church there, we were doing children's ministry and we were doing young adults' ministry. Our family was there. Our environment was awesome. We had job security. God had done a great work. Um, We had two very successful ministries, and we couldn't have been happier. Life was going really well. However, God had been doing something in my heart and in my wife's heart about starting a brand new life-giving church, and we didn't have a clue what that meant. We didn't know uh, what that, where we would be. Uh, All we knew was that God was kind of just 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 speaking to our hearts about doing something, starting a movement of people, really beginning a revolution. And uh, at that point, it was scary because we thought, okay, um, God, we want to obey you. We want to, we want to and we did, we did the same thing that I'm going to teach you against today. Now, we want to put you first, all right? So, so God, we'll give you Sundays, but man, throughout the week, you're really messing with us and this is, this is causing me an issue because now you're, you're speaking to me about leaving all security, leaving everything that I know and I'm familiar with And you want me to step out in faith and do something that I don't know if I can do. And it was through a process of prayer and really trusting in the Lord, really expressing faith, and really many times God will have us take that leap before he'll give us all the answers. And so we didn't have many answers to how we were going to figure this out or what we were going to do, or if we were even capable of pulling something like this off. But we jumped and took that leap of faith, and we said, God, we're going to be willing to go wherever you would call us to go. And we firmly believe with all of our hearts that that God had spoke to us about moving down here January 5th of last year. Today is January 5th, 2014. So it's been exactly one year since Amy and I moved. And man, I got to tell you a little bit about it. It was scary, bro. Because when you move your family into a new environment, 16 and a half hours away from everybody that you know, all familiarity, all your family... I have two small boys. uh, At the time, they were a one-year-old and a three-year-old. They're four and two now, and uh, and it was scary to take that leap of faith and just trust in the Lord that He had something for us. But I'm just so blessed today that one year later I can look out and see Your face. That God knew what He was doing. Imagine that the Creator of the universe (laughs) knows what He's up to. And so it took some some trusting, and it took us really stepping out and believing some things could be possible that we didn't know would be possible. But here we are today, and we're excited about next Sunday. Next Sunday, we're doing a series called New Year's Revolution. And basically, we're doing a soft launch to our church. And April 6th, we're going to do a big grand opening here at this this building. And we're going to watch God do some pretty incredible stuff. But I think it was funny. Last night, we went out and uh, passed out some of those postcards door to door and on some windshields and some cars. And that was the exact same thing that we were doing last year. Last year, um, we moved down and that next Saturday, I immediately started getting some postcards out into the neighborhood and we started inviting people door to door, which is always scary because, you know, I don't like when people knock on my door and I'm sure that they didn't like that I was knocking on their door. But my my scenario was, listen, we're a family of four. We've just moved into the city that's huge and nobody knows why we're here. Yet I believe within me that God has told me to come to this area in McKinney. With that being said, we made these, uh, probably what we thought were really cool, but they were probably kind of cheesy at the time, um, invites to a Super Bowl party, and we would just literally go and introduce ourselves to our neighbors and say, hey, we're going to be having a Super Bowl party. We want you to come and eat with us. You're probably going to be watching the game anyways. By the way, how many people are going to watch that game, the freezing cold weather? Man, it's like, how many degrees is it under? Zach, where are you at, bro? How many degrees? negative 30 degree football game today. It's supposed to be the coldest football game ever played ever, so you guys got to watch it. Um, it's going to be awesome. I'm glad I'm not doing that right now, all right? But uh, somebody paid to go sit there and watch that game, so that's hilarious. But aside from that, we, we were invited everybody to the Super Bowl party, and so we were going door to door, and we invited. We didn't know if anybody would show up, and lo and behold, that day, with us being nervous, 37 people came to our door, and we invited them in. We didn't know them. They were like, Hey, introduce me to somebody. And I'm like, dude, I don't know who these people are. You know, it's like, I don't have a clue. And so when we're inviting you guys to do a Super Bowl party this year, it's kind of a spawn off of how we started what we have today. None of this would have been possible had we not just taken a leap of faith. Now, rather than maybe even go door to door, I'd invite you to invite your family, invite some co-workers, invite some people that you know, and try to get them to come out to the Super Bowl party. They're going to probably be watching the game anyways. What we want to do is we want to sponsor you. We'll provide some food, some drinks, we'll make it fun, and there's just a couple guidelines that we want you to follow. We'll give you all the details, so if you want to sign up for that, put that on your communication card today. Why I'm telling you all that is simply this, because at that day when those 37 people came, we then decided, hey, we need to invite them back to what we're going to just call a little small group study, and we were going to go over a book called Crazy Love. That book is all about the immense love that God has for us. And with that being said, we we ran into two atheists that came into the party, those atheists meaning people that don't believe in God, and they said, Randy, I, I don't know if you want me to come, I'm an atheist. And I said, bro, you need to come. And he was like, dude, I've never I've never had anybody invite me back after I tell them I'm an atheist. You know, all the churches are kind of like, hey, yeah, okay, whatever. And then they just don't invite me, and I'm like, no, dude, I want you to come. And uh, that, that happened. We had a girl, it was actually my next door neighbor, she was an atheist, um, and she, she kind of the same story. She's like, are you sure you want me there? I'm like, yeah, I want to hear, you know, all your thoughts and opinions about this book. Just tell me whatever you think. You're not going to hurt our feelings. We just want to know about it. want to know what, you, what your perspective is on all this. If I can learn something, I'm all about learning. And so I'll never forget that day because it was a monumental day. Twenty people came back to the little small group, and I was thinking to myself, God, you're up to something here. I, know, I knew none of these people a couple weeks ago, but you placed me in this environment with these people for a reason. wasn't long after those those atheists, it was funny, at the very first meeting they said, um, hey, my name is Kinsey and I'm an atheist, just so everybody knows, you know, I don't believe in God. (laughs) A couple weeks later, it was like four weeks in, um, it was like, hey, you know, back when I used to be an atheist, (laughs) um, so it's kind of cool how their lingo changed as God began to work in their heart. Um, He did a special work and they began to understand the love of God. So much so that Kinsey's back in our nursery area right now working with some of your children. And so it's been cool to see the revolution take place in her heart. We didn't know what was going to happen, but we knew, hey, we're here to start a life-giving church. What does that mean, life-giving? Well, we want every time that you come into our presence for this to be a relevant experience for you. Something that's going to actually be of importance. If you're going to give me an hour of your time, I'd like to make it important for you. Something that you can go home and talk about with your family. You sit at your table, your dinner table, or wherever you may be with your, your kids, and you'll be able to have a, a conversation there and begin to learn, hey, what should we be doing here? What should, you, what should you do? And you guys get some perspective. So life-giving means we give life to you. We want to pump you up. We want to energize you about what God's going to do here in this community. Um, so far last year, we didn't expect this because we really weren't planning to, to start the church until 2014, but God really did a move, and we had 59 people saved last year. Can we give a hand to God for that? You say, what's the word saved means? It means that they understood who God was and they, they started a relationship with him. They made him their Lord, their leader, and their CEO. He gives them direction, they follow. And it's amazing when we do that, how God shows up. Out of that, we've baptized 31 of those people and we're praising the Lord for what he's doing. And I want to encourage you, if you've yet to be baptized, I want to go ahead and, and just tell you, next week we're going to be baptizing. so mark that on your communication card, drop it in the bucket, we'll get you all the info you need for next week. That's all setting up, what we're about to talk about right now, and I know I got you guys kind of on a cliffhanger here. What's, what's this guy all talking about, and, and what are we doing here, and, you know, where are we going with this? And today we're going to really dive into why you shouldn't put Jesus first, and it makes complete sense to me, and I'm hoping by the end of this that I do a good enough job of presenting this effectively where it makes complete sense to you too, okay? So I, I, my goal is not to confuse anybody um, by any means. I don't want to see that happen. I know a lot of churches, they speak this lingo or this stuff, and they sound like they know a lot or they're really smart but you walk out going, I didn't understand anything, and now it was irrelevant. That's not my goal, okay? My goal is to give you something you can use. So let me talk about this first. As we set this up, how many of you all have already made a New Year's resolution for this year. Come on, put them up everywhere across. Come on, let me put them up. New Year's resolutions. Most people make New Year's resolutions. How many people are setting some goals this year? Setting some goals. You're saying, I got to get this achieved, or I want to become this, or I want to do that. Great, great. I'm a goal setter. I like goals. How many people already have broke their New Year's resolutions? <laughs> All right, good, good. Praise God. That's the normal, typical, standard way of doing it, right? This year, my New Year's resolution is to break my New Well, you achieved that, right? Um, New Year's resolutions are funny because of the way that we break them down. And I think in our heads, we really do have good intentions. You know, a lot of people, probably like you, you probably maybe made a New Year's resolution this year, and you said, you know what, I want to put God first this year. I've realized I've been slacking, I haven't been doing everything I need to do, and my spiritual life isn't quite where it needs to be. If that's you today, you're probably the person that would come on the first Sunday in January to church, right? Um, This is what we do. Here's how we prioritize. We say, you know what? Number one in our life this year is going to be God or Jesus, right? And although that sounds like the the most noble thing to do in the world, I'm suggesting today that that's not a very good solution. Number two is what we do is our standard answer, of, well, we don't want to offend our family, so we better put our family high on the list. So we, we say, you know, number two is going to be family, because we know the Bible teaches that God is important, and that we should love God, and we should reverence God. But then, obviously, we love our family, and we want our family. We're going to spend a lot of time with our family, so, so we probably ought to have them high on the list. And then number three, for most people, is going to look something like this. Number three is going to look like our career Seeing as uh, you're going to spend about 50% of your life if you work full time, 50% of your life is going to be at your job. You would probably put that up high. Others of you are saying right now, hey, it's not career yet, it's school. I need to get my education because my mom is all over me about this thing, right? <laughs> so you're like, I got to figure this one out. So these are kind of our, our, our priority lists. And then number four and number five are kind of interchangeable depending on your situation. For some people, it's going to look like uh, finances we're going to figure our finances out this year. Dun, 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 right? You're like, I, I don't even want to talk about that, Randy. Let's not go there, man. I haven't even looked at that thing. You know, we just kind of keep quiet, hush, hush. If I don't say anything and you don't say anything, we just ignore it. The problem hopefully goes away, but it doesn't work that way, right? So finances is an issue for many people and they say, this year we're going to do something different. We may even let somebody mess with our budget, right? And then number five would probably be something like, uh, and this is interchangeable, it could be anything, but for a lot of people, it's fitness. You know, we're going to get healthy. That was mine. I already broke that one, all right? Um, I ain't healthy at all. I'm drinking too much pop. Um, soda. I know, I know. I'm from Ohio, right? Here we go. So here's, here's our normal standard way of thinking, and this looks good, and what I'm about to tell you is going to sound weird. It's going to sound unconventional, It may even sound a little uncomfortable. It may even sound scandalous to you. But I'm telling you, don't put Jesus first. Don't put Jesus first. What does that really mean when we put Jesus first? Let's think about it for a second. If we put Jesus first, does this mean that we ignore our families in order to put God first? I mean, in order to follow Jesus, does that mean, you know, um, we're going to spend more time praying. Okay, we're going to pray. And what else? We're going to read our Bible, okay, because that's important, God's Word. And then we're going to go to church, right? We're going to go to church. But in putting God first, does that mean to serve? Yeah, that's a good one. We're going to serve. In putting God first, does that mean in our minds, you know, we need to, to push our family aside or spend less time with our family in order to put God first? You know, in order to do these things, it's like, well, we have to make time. And so something's got to give. And the way we structure our life out like this can create a problem for us just in our everyday life. And I don't believe by any means that God came to this world in the form of Jesus to pay for our sins so that he could then set up a structure that's going to destroy our lives. Does it really mean that that if I'm going to put God or Jesus at the forefront of my life, I put him first, does that mean I have to put my career on hold? Like, come on, Randy, are you serious, Pastor, are you telling me that? I have to hold off on my, my dreams and what I've always wanted to become. And man, I went to school for this and I spent six years in school for this, right? And here I and You want me to put my career on hold in order, order to follow God? When we structure our lives like this, it can really many times feel like that we're not going to be able to achieve what we want to do. I think this way of strategizing isn't very effective. I think it's actually counterproductive. But this is what I see so many Christians. So many people, they strategize their life like this, and then they find themselves not having enough time to do everything that they need to do. And so it's, it's kind of a problem. Um, if we put Jesus first, that wording sounds like we're doing something the correct way. But it's a priority issue. You know, uh, let me kind of flip over here. Today I want to show you in our, our scripture, if you've got your Bibles or if you have a smartphone with you, go ahead and click over to Colossians chapter 1. If you have a smartphone, but you don't have a Bible on there, there's an app called YouVersion. YouVersion, Y-O-U, version. Okay, go ahead and click that app. You'll want to download that. We're going to be in Colossians chapter 1. This, uh, the text I'm going to be reading from is the New King James Version, but you're more than welcome to use whatever version you have available. That's just so I can, you can follow along with me. I got this whole idea of not putting Jesus first based on this scripture right here. Okay, it's Colossians chapter 1, verse 15 through 18. We're going to throw it up on this TV, and I kind of want to teach through it. Go ahead and throw it up there, Tycho. Um, It says that he is the image of the invisible God. Now, real quick, that's Jesus, okay? Jesus is the image of the invisible God. So you have God who is up in heaven, the creator of everything that we know and see. And he literally said, hey, I want to have a relationship with these people, and I want to experience life. I want to experience what that's like because I'm going to take The whole weight of the world on my shoulders, I'm going to pay for sin. So he literally experienced it in the flesh in the form of Jesus. So when we talk about Jesus, Jesus is God. God is up in heaven, God the Father. you got God the Son, who is Jesus. And then you have the Holy Spirit, that when we ask Jesus to forgive us of our sins, comes and lives inside of each each and every one of us. Okay, So that's kind of the, the, the way that that works. God the Father. It says, Jesus is the image of the invisible God. He's the one that we can see. We can identify with. He lived here on this earth. He was here. He's kind of like God in a bod, all right? So you can kind of remember it that way. Jesus is God in a bod. So you got the image of the invisible God. He's the firstborn over all creation. Man, he's, he's kind of way back there, okay? Like, like the firstborn of all creation. He created everything, the very first. There was no before him. He was the first. Verse 16 tells us this. For by him all things were created that are in heaven and that are on the earth, Visible and invisible, meaning there's stuff that we don't even know about. Like, he's, he's, a, he's a deep God. Our human minds can't even comprehend all the things that he's created because there's stuff that, that's completely invisible. Whether thrones or dominions or principalities or powers, all things were created through him and what? And for him. Did y'all catch it? All things were created through him and for him. He's the owner, ruler, ruler creator of it all verse 17 says this and he is before all things before there was you know anything is before all right before all things and in him all things consist go ahead and keep going and he is the head of the body who's the body the people of the church right the body of christ he is the head of the body the church who is the beginning the firstborn from the dead that in how many things In some of the things, right? In in a few of the things. No. He says that in all things he may have the preeminence. In all things, in other words, he may get the glory. Now, that's very important that we understand that in all things. So, here's what I'm suggesting to you today. We really need to change the way that we're ordering our lives this year. Instead of um, Jesus, then our family. Or Jesus, then our career, Jesus, then our health, or our finances, or or whatever it is that you'd fill in the blank. What if instead of Jesus first in your life this year, you put Jesus in the center of your life this year? So then all things, he may have the glory. So in other words, it's not God, then my family, or God, then. It's God, in my family. See the difference there? See, it's not God, then my career. It's God, in my career. So, it's not, I'm going to live for God today on Sunday. And a lot of people do that. It's funny um, the way that people think. They're like, okay, I got to get Jesus in here somewhere. So, we strategize. Looks like they have the group gathering there thing, the church thing on Sunday. So, I'll go on Sunday and then we can just, uh, boop, check that one off for the week. And now we move on to all these things, totally neglecting the fact that we need to have God in the center of all that we do. Does that make sense? That makes sense? Good, 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 good. We're moving along. When everything revolves around Jesus, he not only becomes first in order, but he becomes the center of our whole world. Everything that we do focuses on the filter of does Jesus want us to do this or does Jesus not want us to do this? And here's the great thing. Jesus is not out to get you. Jesus is not mad at you. You're right. Jesus is not mad at you. And that's important for us to understand because Jesus wants the best for you. And when you live your life according to keeping him in the center of your world, it's amazing how things work out so much better. I'm not going to tell you your life is perfect because it's not. Many times God allows us to go through things that we'll never understand. We'll never understand on this side of heaven. When we get to heaven, we'll understand some things. But I'll say this. I would rather live this way under the filter of what God would have me to do as the center of my world Rather than any other way, because I've seen the other way. Man, I counsel all those people the other way. And they have it bad. And it's like if I can get them to understand to put Jesus in their families, to put Jesus in their finances, Jesus in every aspect of their life, their whole world changes. We got those shirts that say, Jesus revolutionized me. And the key to that is putting Jesus in the center of everything that we do. So if you're taking notes on the back of your little uh, worship guide there, there's a spot for you to do it and uh, to take a pen. Here's kind of the main point for the day. It says, don't put Jesus first. Put him in the center of everything you do. Don't put Jesus first. Put him in the center of everything you do. Let's say it on the count of three together. Number one, two, three. Don't put Jesus first. Put him in the center of everything you do. I believe this message will change the way that we do everything if we apply it. I said that last week. I said um, information without application leads to no transformation. It's information with the application that leads to transformation. So we have to apply this to us. Um, Kind of share a story with you about me growing up. I was a preacher's kid. Uh, my dad's a pastor. I'm known as a PK, all right, pastor's kid. And uh, I was the one, you know, painting on the walls and doing stuff I wasn't supposed to be doing in the church. And I uh, was just good at it because I was probably there early and stayed probably late. So I was like ripping stuff up and cutting stuff. And it was like, that's just what I did. I was a pastor's kid, all right? We're not perfect. But uh, it's funny, the different generations, how ministry looks. You see, for my dad being a pastor, his, his generation, his, his parents... They had a whole different structure behind how to serve God, how to be a good pastor. Growing up for me, it looks a lot different than than growing up for my dad. You see, in order to be a good godly pastor in that generation, meant that you kind of had to do this. You had to say, God comes first. So we could literally be sitting down at the dinner table, and if anybody called from the community that needed anything at all, it was... Only seen as a good thing as a pastor, as a good godly man, if he left his family sitting at the dinner table and went and tended to the needs of whoever there was. Now that sounds good because it's like, hey, God comes first, and then family. I almost think that they came up with this whole structure. I don't know that, but I'm pretty sure. Because here's what would really happen. During that same generational period of time, there was a higher divorce rate among pastors and their wives than at any other time in history. So much so that it was even higher than those of people who didn't even know Jesus. Pastors were divorcing their families because they were so in love with God. But I don't think that that's the way that God intended it, amen? I don't think that's the way that God intended it. I don't think that that's the way that we're supposed to do it nowadays. I think nowadays, I think if I'm being a good godly man, I need to be able to keep Jesus in the center of my family and understand that my family... It's important to God. See, the Bible teaches that I'm supposed to love my wife as Christ loved the church and gave himself for it. So my first responsibility is to my wife. I have a responsibility there. Then I have a responsibility to my kids as I groom them and I teach them and I train them how to live a godly lifestyle. That's my responsibility. And then as I'm, as I'm able to figure that out, because for a lot of people, especially uh, men, we're kind of boneheads at times, and, uh, and that's a struggle many times, but once we figure that out, then we begin to reach out. Then we're able to do what God's called us to do effectively. But I don't think that we have to go in five different directions as a family in order to achieve what God wants for us to achieve. Amen? Yeah. I think that God has a responsibility to us. We have a responsibility to our families first in order to obey God. Then we go out and do the rest. So we don't put Jesus first, we put him in the center of everything that we do. Um, here's, here's a good structure. If you guys are kind of looking for some guidance here as men, you know, how do I lead? Um, what do I need to do? Here's kind of, kind of something that was shown to me a long time ago, and it's always stuck with me. It's been a really healthy thing for me. Um, here's God, because we want to keep God first in our life. He's up at the top. Kind of mis- imagining him up in heaven. Okay, he's there. We look to him for guidance. We look to him for direction. I use that terminology. He's our Lord. He's our leader. He's our CEO. Okay, I use that terminology. We look to him for everything. What I've found is this my family works so much better when I, as the man, am getting my direction from this guy. It's amazing how this works. When I take direction from God and I seek him out and I say, God, What is it you'd like me to do with this job situation? Should I take the job? Should I not take the job? Should I go here? Should I not go here? Should I make this decision? Should I When I take that time to cycle through the filter of what God would have for my life and making Him the center of the decision, it's amazing that when I come to the conclusion of an answer and my wife, key note here, sees me looking to God. uh, Y'all catch that? The woman, your wife... Okay, so I got man, I got woman here. Okay. You say, you don't know my wife. She doesn't want to follow my lead. <laughs> I love you. I love you. All right, here's the deal. Maybe because she doesn't have faith that you're looking to God. She doesn't have faith that you're looking to God. You see, because honestly, if she's wanting to look to God and you're wanting to look to God, it's amazing how things begin to gel. Things begin to flow as you do work of the, the work of God together. It's amazing when she sees that, there, that her man has got this thing figured out. I'm convinced of this. You don't have to believe me. You can have your opinion, but this is my opinion. My opinion is that men were created to lead. Now, I believe that part's biblical, but I also believe that women were created, this is my opinion, with a gland in them that wants to follow. They want to. They don't feel like they want to, but they want to. When they see this happening. You know what doesn't happen? They do not want to follow when they don't see this happening. So you're sitting in a mess right now and you say, hey, I don't know what the, what the holdup here is. You know, I, I, I've read the Bible. She's read that part where, you know, she's supposed to follow me. But if she's not seeing you look to God for decision making, I wouldn't follow you. <laughs> I don't think She's dumb. I just don't. I think the men have got to step up. And I found this. When I'm looking to God for direction, and I'm getting it, and it's clear in my mind of what God wants me to do. And by the way, I get a band of brothers together in the church that help me identify some of that. You say, I just don't know what God's trying to say. You share that with some other men who can pray with you, who can encourage you and counsel you, give you some guidance and direction. It's, It's funny how God will make some things clear through that. You'll be able to bounce some ideas off of each other, and it's great. Um... You need a band of brothers. We'll talk about that later. But here we go. So when I'm doing that, my wife has no problem following me. She just doesn't. We work together doing the work of God. Here's what else is cool. I got little ones. Y'all got little ones? Y'all got little ones? Yeah? You're like, I oh, don't know. I'm tired. They woke me up, right? Um, here's the deal. It's cool to lead your family whenever you're running this structure because here's the deal. They don't have any problem following. When you're leading... Now, here's what a lot of guys do. You want to go to church, son? You're like, no. You want to play video games all day? Yeah. All right. That's not leading. That's not leading. You lead by saying, here's why we're doing what we're doing. Let me tell you why we're going to church. Let me tell you why it's important. You know, a lot of guys, you need to go home today and you need to have a group meeting, family meeting. And you say, listen, we got to get our life on track. You may say, even, I don't even have all this thing figured out yet. I don't have all the pieces together. Which, man, you think you've got to have it all together before you present something. But you just need to be open and honest with your family and say, listen, I don't have it all figured out yet, but I do know that we need to start this. We need to start this. And then you say, you know what, kids, here's why we're going to do it. And you begin to break some things down. Um, we, we focus on putting Jesus in the center of our walk. When it comes to church, we're not coming for selfish reasons. You know, what, what style of music do they have? Are the people friendly? Do I like the lighting? Is the pen working? No, it's not working. It's been in a truck all week, all right? <laughs> no, it's not working. It's not right, it's cold outside. Those are all selfish motives to come to church. When you come to church though, is this about you or is this about God? Because if it's about God, it's about us coming to the church to present back to God worship and praise and honor and reverence for who He is. So there's a difference there, but but we do it together in our lives. We just, we just work together in the ministry, and it's amazing how it works. And I, I want to kind of give you a, an example. For some of you guys that come to Revolution Church, and you know some people here, um, I, I hope this connects to you, because I want to recognize a couple people, and, and I could recognize a lot more, but I, I just picked a couple families I think are doing a phenomenal job with this. And that would be the Garrettson family, Garrett and Shay, with their kids um, Reed and Red and Price. I think they're doing a phenomenal job showing them by example why they're in church. Because they're, they're not coming and saying, hey, we just love to set up all this pipe and drape and all this lighting. And we, we have to carry all this stuff in, and it's just wonderful. We get to do it. Their kids are like, what? You know, we don't like that. But here's the deal. They've, they've obviously done something right. When they explain to them the reason why we're involved in the work of God is because lives have the opportunity to be changed week after week. When you explain that to your children, when you explain it to them, it gives them an opportunity to connect to the vision of why you're doing what you're doing. They need an answer to the why behind the what. You know what I'm saying? Um, Jeff and Garrett, I think, are doing a phenomenal job with Tycho and Taryn. All of their kids are involved in not only Setup, not only Teardown, but they also help in the children's ministry. The, Tycho's an intern. I just think that they're, they're doing a great job. I want to give them a hand. Can we give them a hand real quick? I think they're doing great. You guys, I honor you today. I honor you. I think that's incredible, the example that you've set forward. Kids don't just pick it up on their own, they can, but I I think somebody had to pave the way, and I think you guys are doing a great job paving the way and explaining why you do what you do. That's what I love about our church, too. Anybody from any age can get involved. See, it wasn't like the 18 and up, they're called to be the church. We're all the church. We're all the church. So I think it's cool that we just allow anybody to do that. So I want to challenge you in some things. Do you come to church and does your family come to church out of selfish motive of what you desire, what you prefer, what you want? Or is this all about Jesus? See, because you can almost put church on here, number six, and then say, I'm putting Jesus here, but then I have my preference of what I want. I'll put him first, but then, you know, I get to do whatever I want in church. Or you just put him in your church. See, God's here right now. He's here right now. Some people are experiencing him right now. Others who you aren't. You say, how is that possible? See, here's the deal. When your heart's ready to receive God, and you come in with an open spirit, and you say, God, whatever you have for me today, I want to receive it. Here's the deal. God ain't hiding from you. He'll give you what you need today. He'll give you what you need today. Those that are hardened heart, and they are closed off, they're not going to get what they need. You're going to walk out of here unchanged. And here's the deal. It's not God's fault. It's your fault. Okay? I want to clear that up. When it comes to your family, let me kind of give you some other stuff here. Um, is Jesus the center of your focus when it comes to your family time? Is he the center of your focus? Does he, he dictate how you talk? What you listen to on the radio? Where you go? What you post on Facebook? What you tweet about? Is he dictating that stuff? Or is your family watching you really destroy your own testimony? how God's created you to live I just don't think that God's designed families to go in seven different directions but all the time I see that happening and I want to encourage you to be strong in your faith but it starts with the man I don't blame anybody else with the man you know it's funny in the garden of Eden whenever um, Eve took that fruit for the very first time and she ate of it and she she really committed what we would call the first sin God called out Adam for it he didn't call out Eve Called out Adam for it. And it didn't let the ladies off the hook. It just said, hey, bro, you were supposed to be leading, and you didn't. You took of it, too. What are you doing, bro? See what I'm saying? Don't put Jesus first. Put him in the center of everything to do. For instance, when it comes to your career, some of you guys are thinking your jobs. You need to be putting Jesus in the center of your job. Here's how that looks. When it comes to moral and ethical decisions, possibly even illegal stuff, okay? Yeah, you can get a little bit ahead, but listen, you ain't getting ahead in the eyes of God who co- controls and sees everything. You, don't, you can fool me, you can fool everyone else, but you're not fooling a God who sees everything. And so I think it's very important that when it comes to career decisions, you put Him in the center of that. Say, God, if this is not going to honor you, then I don't want to do it. Man, I fear God. I don't know about you, but I fear God so much more than Man. Well, you'll lose your job if you don't do this. And they're telling you to do something illegal. little. Dude, you better lose your job over that. Because God knows what's up. He's not unable to hear what's happening and what's being said to you. He will take care of you. You don't have to worry about a thing. You better just watch whenever you're doing stuff that's against the heart of God have to. you got to keep them in the center of that. When it comes to your finances, I see so many people struggle with their finances. Today, I won't ask you to raise your hand. Maybe that's you, and you say, you know what? I've been struggling for a year and a half, and we cannot dig ourselves out of this hole. I'm going to tell you something that sounds a little backwards, like I just did earlier. You ready for this? Your financial situation will never, ever be solved until you solve your spiritual situation with your finances. What does that mean? Your spiritual situation is God's already asked you to take 10% of your gross income and give it back to God and do His work. You say, I don't agree with all that, Randy. Well, okay. <laughs> that's fine. Not what I want from you, it's what I want for you. And that's what you've got to understand. You say, well, I think the church just wants my money. Well, don't give to this church. Go give to another church down the street. Do that for 90 days. See how God will revolutionize your life. I don't need your money. Because I'm not relying on you guys to get through in this thing. I'm relying on God. If I was relying on you, man, I'd be like, ooh, right? If I was relying on myself, ooh. But I'm not. I rely on God. This is his church and what he wants to do. But your, your whole financial situation will never be fixed until you understand that you've got to give 10% back to God. So that doesn't sound fair. Well, let me ask you a question. If I said, hey, Brad, I'm going to give you a $100 bill right now. you give me 10 back, you'd say, yeah, Dude, I'm going to give you 100 You give me 10 and you're going to say, dude, that's a steal of a deal. Are you sure? And I'm going to go, yeah, I want you to have it. And you would think that's the greatest deal in the world. I just gave you $90. I just asked you to give me 10 back. I only had a $100 bill on me. You say, that's the greatest deal in the world. That's what God's given us today. He controls all of it. Say, so if I do that, I'm not going to have enough money to do this and this and this. Did you forget that God controls your boss? <laughs> he controls the how many hours you get a week. God controls every aspect and every detail of this whole thing. He can, can, he can give you a raise. He can give you a different job paying double, working half the hours, making the same amount of money. He can do anything he wants to do. But we forget who God is. And I don't want you to forget today. I don't want you to, to put God first and then miss him in your finances. You have to put him in the center of this bad boy right here. You'll have an opportunity to do that today. Here's the deal. 2014 is going to be an amazing year for a lot of you guys. You're going to see so much growth in your families. You're going to see so much growth in so many areas that you need to work on. You're going to see it happen, but I want you to just be fully on force surrendered to God. Throughout the whole process, embrace every step of the journey. Embrace those moments when you're scared and you go, I don't know how it's going to work. Embrace that and say, but I know who God is. See, because I was scared to move down here with four people in my little family and going to start. I was scared, but I embraced that moment. I said, but I know who God is. When you remember who God is, you are empowered to do so much. This week, as you set your goals for 2014, you always go back to, is Jesus the center of this in everything that we do? Let me shoot some vision for you uh, for the next few weeks. We're going to be out of here in just a few minutes. Um, Time flew today, but here's what we got. Um, Next week, we're going to start a new series called New Year's Revolution. We're going to be doing a soft launch, and we invite you to come back with us if you're a guest. Please come back and check us out what we're doing next week. It's going to be an exciting time. Um, this whole idea of this series is not just to give you this introduction to don't put Jesus first, put him in the center. It's to focus on different areas of your life. So here's what we're going to do next week. We're going to talk about revolutionizing your life. We're going to talk about revolutionizing your family, your finances, your friends, your community. We're going to go in the six-part uh, series and just Break down some of these things and say, How can we put Jesus in the center of our family? How can we put Jesus in the center of these things? How can we make this happen? What action steps do we need? Today's kind of like an overview. Don't just put Him first, put Him in the center of everything you do. So hang with us the next six weeks. Keep coming back, keep learning, keep growing as we grow together and do life together. I'm just convinced that God has something very special for you, just like He had for me. Um, we're going to, after that, be doing a marriage series. Um, it's going to be four or five weeks long, and we're going to be enhancing everyone's marriage. Whether you've got a marriage that's struggling, whether you've got a marriage that's great, you need to be a part of this with us. Because this marriage series is going to help you grow closer together. It's going to enhance everything that you got. you got something good, we want to get you something great. We're a life-giving church. We give life to people. Um, I hope you're energized up and you're ready for some of this teaching that's going to be relevant to you, that's going to change you. Overall today, though, the very best thing that I can do within the next five minutes right now to just give you the best I can is to introduce you to the one that changed my life. To introduce you to the one that changed my life. Um, His name is Jesus. Let me talk to him about him for just a couple minutes. This is what Jesus is all about. All right? God is up in heaven. Let's draw him right here. Got God. God. God is here. He's perfect. Never done anything wrong. No limits, no bounds. Visible, invisible, he created it all, right? You got us who are over here. Wow, that's a weird you, all right? We look weird anyways, all right? So, there we go. You got us, you got God. Now, there's a separation that's happened. It's kind of like this. You got this here, and you got this here. There's this little separation, He's down there. We all know what that is, right? H-E, double hockey sticks. Whoa. All right, not good, right? Not good. Now, here's the deal. Satan's whole mission in this world is to, to keep you separate from God. If he can keep you from being in church and hearing the Word of God taught, like what we did today, he'll do that. And ultimately, what happens to you when you die is you end up going to hell. Now, I don't want that for you. I know what the Bible teaches, and I know what it says. And the Bible says that he's made a way through the power of the cross, to bridge the gap between us and God. The power of the cross, man. Let me tell you about the cross for a minute. The cross is where Jesus died. The Bible teaches that all of us are sinners. I'm not exempt, even the pastor. on it. We're all sinners, meaning we all do stupid things, right? Can we all say amen to that? We all do stupid things. Amen, right? Don't nudge anybody, All right, all right? Amen. We all mess up. Romans three twenty three tells us for all of sin and fall short of who God is meaning there's separation here sin is in the way now here's what I love about God he doesn't just say hey bro you got a problem for us you better figure that out that's an issue right there you got some sin on you and that's going to separate you from me dude I hope you can figure I don't know what you're going to do about it that's not what God did See, God gave us his word, the Holy Bible, to teach us how to bridge that gap and what he did. What I love about God is it's not about what we have to do to get to him. It's about what he did to get to us. See, when he came in the form of Jesus, God in a bod, he came here, God in a bod, and he died on this cross. Now, his death, his death paid for our sin. The Bible says for the payment of sin in Romans 6.23 is death. We all have to die. Now, either you're going to die on your own and you're going to go to hell. Plain as day, right? Plain as day. Or you can accept what Jesus did on that cross when he died for you. And you can let his death, I don't have no room, his death pay for your sin. I say it every week because it's important. You can accept his death paying for your sin. It's the greatest gift in the whole world. The best thing about this whole message is that you can't go to no tomb and lay no flowers down on this guy. He ain't there anymore. See, because three days later, my God was more powerful than anything I've ever heard of. He kicked the tomb door wide open, and boom, he rose from the dead. He's up in heaven, and we can look to him for guidance and direction in our lives. He doesn't leave us hanging. I love that. Amen? Amen? We thankful for that today? Now, here's the deal. God doesn't want us to be separate from him, so he sent Jesus on that cross to make it happen. But here's the deal. He's just holding this gift out to you. And it's not just, you know, for for people who are over 18. It's not just for men or women. It's for anybody. Anyone that calls on the name of the Lord shall be saved is what the Bible teaches. and that's That's the greatest promise that we ever have.